You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, it seems to me, as I watch the news and hop around news sites online, the world has turned upside down. At least that's how it feels. And we live in a culture of fear, depression, and suicide are at all-time highs. We have gender confusion. Church leaders are bailing out. We have incredible anger and violence, and the United States is divided. Now, has the world always had problems? Yes. Just ask the Christians, first century Rome, who were being burned at the stake. Probably wasn't a good time for them. Has America always been this way? Maybe, but I don't think it has been lately. So we live in a culture, we're operating in a culture that we don't feel at home in. And when you look at the recent violence and you look at you listen to the political rhetoric, it has everyone on edge, including Christians. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is still active. He is on his throne like he always has been. And he is where we turn when the world flips on us. And the same words he used to comfort his disciples at their time of need, words that comfort us today. Listen, don't define your life by current events. Don't define your life by cultural trends. Look to Jesus. Because Jesus provides peace and hope, and security in a world gone crazy. So take your Bibles. Let's take a look at this truth, because it's amazing. I want you to turn, if you would, to John 16, verse 33. love you to have a Bible in front of you this morning, because we're going to be moving around a bit. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can reach in front of you in the seat back, and you can turn to page 903. And also download the Ridgewood app, and all of the scripture is there. John 16, 33. This is going to be our launching point, this familiar verse. Jesus is leaving. The disciples are scared. Their world was going crazy. But in this particular verse, he assures them that it's going to be Okay. It's going to be okay. Here's what he says. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. That's an amazing statement. And it ends this upper room discourse or his time with his disciples as we studied this in John. 
It ends the upper room discourse, and he proclaims himself to be the victorious king, the one who can provide hope when all seems lost. And so as we look at what Jesus promises us in this passage, we can just take a deep breath. And we can realize that our joy isn't set in who's in charge of our government or our circumstances of life. Our joy is set in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we move along, there's one thing that's really encouraging as we start two sections. One is a warning. A second section that Jesus will say to these men is a hope and encouragement. But as we get started, this encourages me, that Jesus predicted that the disciples' world would go crazy. He was telling them this. It didn't surprise him. And nothing that happens to us surprises him either. We are in his hands. He is God. He sees the future. He knows the future. His providence is at work in our lives. And here he's telling the disciples, you may have peace in me, even though you're going to experience tribulation. It's not like you might, or you can skirt around it, or I've got some tools for you to miss it. No, it's going to happen. Now, we experience terrible things in our lives. We go through heartache. We, we, we move through tragedy. But really, in America, we haven't yet paid a high price for our faith. But the disciples were about to. And so Jesus wanted to warn them in order that they would thrive even though culture would turn against them. Here's what he said in John 16. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will pull you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. It's going to happen. But when it does happen, we can look back and remember the promises of Christ. And we can remember that he has overcome the world. Now, think about it. These guys are in this safe room. Jerusalem is probably chaotic at this point. There's hundreds of thousands of people that have come for Passover. It's a political hotbed because there's Roman oppression and there's zealots. place could just ignite at any time. Spiritually, it's kind of the same thing. Jews were chasing after Christ. The disciples knew this, but here they were. They were safe with their leader. They were in the upper room having a nice dinner. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to lay truth on them that just shakes their world. Judas is the betrayer. Peter, you're going to deny me. I'm leaving. And now, this. Sure, he said, I'm, I'm sending the promised Holy Spirit. Sure, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. But no wonder they were. 
a little skittish. They couldn't have possibly known the assault that was about to come at them. But Jesus did. And it may seem like the world's gone crazy, but Jesus hasn't. Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus is still right where he always has been on the throne. So here are the warnings he gives the disciples. And there are several unpleasant aspects to this warning. And strangely enough, it's the root cause is simply that we have a relationship with him. The root cause of coming trouble is our commitment to Jesus. Now, you would think this would be, well, the root cause of an easy life is because of our commitment to Jesus. No, it's quite the opposite. The reason coming trouble is aimed at us is because we love Christ. And so what I want you to do is just page back a couple of pages to John 15. And we're going to land on verse 18. Spend a little bit of time in John 15. And here, Jesus holds nothing back at all. He tells the disciples, trouble is coming for a disciple of Christ. Here's what he says in 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Yikes. Jesus isn't soft selling anything because this is truth. He's fortifying his disciples. I wish the prosperity gospel camp would read this section of the Bible because we have a whole group of people who are going to face persecution and it's going to be like it came out of left field, like it's not biblical. Here Jesus is saying, no, it is going to happen, but it's okay because I am there with you. But hatred will be directed at us. Here's the thing. The, the, the word world here is defined in John's gospel as the system of the world. Satanic system. Satan has temporary reign over this world. And so you don't fit. If you're a disciple of Christ, you don't blend in. You, you, you stick out you, like oil and water. No wonder you feel like you're not quite at home. Theologian D.A. Carson calls this a society of rebels. And so you're going to have a clash because we follow Jesus and the world hates anything that has to do with Jesus because it hated him first. We have to deal with this reality. And so this impending trouble will include direct hatred. Do not be surprised Hatred will grow, not subside. Do not be surprised. Verse 17 is transitional here. 
Jesus had spoken about abiding with him. He talked about prayers being answered in his will. And then he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And what he's doing is he's reiterating his earlier teaching. He had said, I'm leaving you, but I want you to love each other. Because it's a contrast to the hatred they were about to face. If they weren't loving each other, they would be destroyed. If we don't love each other, we will be destroyed. And Jesus knew that that love between believers would be the glue that holds the church together and be the light that shines to non-believers. In verse 19, Jesus gives the reason. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus plucked you out of that world system through his gracious gift of salvation and his work on the cross and propitiatory, that propitiatory, substitutionary atonement where he was able to grab you and save you, but now you don't belong. Now you don't belong. And it's okay because you belong to the family of God. But hate is coming your way. And, and you know that this is truth, not only because the Bible says it, but because you can feel it happening. You see it happening. And, and what we tend to do is we want to like, stop, go back to the way it was. As if that was probably any better. What Jesus is saying is, it's okay, I'm here. But we are going to have to make some very, very serious decisions about where our loyalties lie. What am I willing to sacrifice for? What's more important, Jesus or culture or comfort or even my country? What's the most important thing in my life? Jesus is demanding that you follow him unto death because the world is coming after you. I heard a great talk by uh, John Piper went down to Minneapolis and saw him preach not long ago, and he was talking about persecution of believers back in World War II and how certain countries would, would take these Christians and they would fill these vats of water with ice and they would just slam the believer into the water and pull him back up and slam him down and pull him back up. And Dr. Piper said, what are you going to be thinking about when you're under the water, score of the game, how much money you have in the bank? No. You're going to be thinking about where your priorities lie. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And so with this hatred that is coming comes persecution. People aren't just going to stand by and let us spoil their cultural way of doing things. Look at 15, 20 to 21. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Persecution is coming. And what Jesus is alluding to here is back in 13, 6, he said that phrase, no servant is greater than his master. But there, he was referring to loving each other well. Here, it's much sharper. It is, follow me into suffering. If they made me suffer, they're going to make you suffer. 
Now, you may think, well, this is a little dour for Sunday. My, my brunch isn't going to be as fun because the pastor's bumming me out big time. Well, how was the sermon? Terrible, awful. The guy is just on a... No, here's the thing. The reason I'm talking about this is because we need to be ready. And culture is already experiencing it, and they need Jesus. And so we need to be giving them Jesus. Now, if you went to other countries around the world, this would be foolish talk. They'd be saying, it's already here. Voice of the Martyrs just put out a thing. Uh, a very respected publication in China. Uh, they're closing hundreds of churches. They're arresting pastors. You can't buy a Bible online. If you're a church leader and you don't sign up for the government church, they will file false charges against you and imprison you. In China, you can't teach someone under 18 years old about religion. It's already there. Newsweek magazine did a report on Africa and the persecution there. In Sudan, churches are being destroyed. In Nigeria, ISIS affiliates like Boko Haram are destroying villages and churches and killing Christians. And we think, well, that's not going to happen in America. Come on, Paul. Jesus says it's coming. There will be a point when we're going to have to make a decision because we're not going to be able to maybe choose the job that we want. We may be forced to go to a different school. We may not be allowed to participate in government because of our faith. We're already being called fools and bigots and racists because we believe in the exclusivity of Christ and a biblical view of marriage. And so it's coming. It's coming. If you think America is going to protect you, no, because Jesus is the only one that can. So hatred is coming, persecution is coming, but here is the good news. And there's a lot of good news in this. Even given all of that information, Jesus is our hope. He warned them, and now he's going to strengthen them. So here's what we can hold on to. Jesus is aware of, prepared for, and victorious over impending trouble. Nothing's going to take him by surprise. He's already won victory, and so as hard as this might be, we will survive. Because now we have good news. Turn ahead to John 16, 16. Just page ahead a couple of pages. John 16, 16. And I want to show you this. In the next verses here, Jesus assures his disciples that though his death would be temporarily bitter for them, joy would follow. Because the next agenda item for Jesus was to go right to the cross. This is the Passover meal. He knows it's coming. And here's what he says, 16, 16. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and then you will see me. Now skip down to verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish 
for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. We'll see him again. We'll see him again. This, this is all temporary. The Bible's clear Jesus is coming back. When, when I teach Revelation this fall, the book of Revelation is all about the glory of Christ, the victorious Christ. And so here in the disciples' realm, he's likely talking about the fact that they'll see him when he is resurrected in that 40-day period before he ascends. But what he's referring to here with the mother analogy is that there would be victory over his death temporarily, but the church would find incredible joy in, in that atoning sacrifice. And so in the end, Jesus is the victor. And he's heading up now toward the ultimate source of hope, the power in victory, even though hate and persecution is going to be followed by joy. Look at 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all these things and you don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And then Jesus, do you now believe? Finally, like, come on, raise people from the dead, change wine, you know, water into wine. Now you're believing. But just in time, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. What is he saying? He's saying that as the disciples begin to grasp this truth, that these disciples, as prophesied in Zechariah, are going to scatter. Despite all of their boasting about how much they love him, they're going to scatter away. But he will not be left alone. His father is always with him. And so the future, though it may have looked bleak at that moment, was not really bleak at all. Because Jesus knew that after his impending death would be this glorious resurrection ascension to glory, and that one day we will see him face to face as he returns to take his own. And so there is hope. And yes, it's going to be hard. Hatred is coming. Persecution is coming. But Jesus, he's the king. This takes us right back to where we started at 1633. How do we find joy in a world gone crazy? We believe the words, I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? I have overcome the world. If we believe those words, then we, then we can 
Apply this to every aspect of our lives. Our kids, our finances, our health. Man, what a powerful phrase. Jesus has overcome the world. Listen, I want you to be ready because Jesus was hated and we're going to be hated. So I want you to be able to live courageously. I want you to live courageously when you're mocked for your faith, when you're threatened, when you're denied something that you rightly should have because of your faith, when you lose loved ones because of your faith. I want you to live courageously even when you're afraid of the future and the future isn't clear. Even when friends and family fail you, even when your leaders fail you at times, I want you to live courageously because Jesus has overcome the world. And so how can we look at this onslaught of hate, persecution, and find joy? put our stake in the ground on the name of Jesus Christ. Not on our politicians, not on our wealth, not on our smarts, not on our country, but on Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that has overcome the world. And might I say that never before in my lifetime have I seen this kind of opportunity for us to reach into people's lives because they're scared too and they're confused too and they don't know where this is all leading either. And so reach over the fence and shake your neighbor's hand and say hi. Get to know your workmate. Help somebody with their homework at school because these people desperately need Christ. The world may seem like it's out of control, but it's not because Jesus provides hope and security in this crazy world we live in. I would like if you could just take a moment and just close your eyes and just meditate on this truth. Where can this truth invade your life this morning? And then I'll close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.